Hey, good morning, you guys. Good morning on this uh, Sunday morning. I hope you're doing great. A uh, lot going on. Hopefully your uh, NFL football team is doing well. Uh, ours is doing pretty well. We're excited. We're talking about being all in, though. All in with Jesus, all in with the church, all in with God, all in with the things of God and the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about. And uh, in uh, chapter 4, we're in John, 1 John 4, and uh, John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 is where we were. We read the passage last week, 7 through 21 is where we're going to kind of be talking about that section. A lot about God is love and, and what love is. And so we're focusing our attention on this idea of love. John says, dear friends, let us love one another. And so what we're doing is exploring what does love even mean? What, what is in, involved in the love of God? What, what's, what, what's it made of? And uh, we began to dig into this love. And uh, I encourage us in a number of ways. I wanted to share, uh, remind you of what we talked about last week. Uh, some highlights and then keep moving forward in this topic because it's a big topic. We want to go into it with our eyes like wide open, like fully aware and in the know about a few things. First, the, the dangers that lurk. Like John's been talking about antichrist and false prophets and evil spirits and demonic agendas all around us in this world that are, that, are, that are after the things of God and the kingdom of God and the people of God. And uh, we want to also be in the know about God and his word and his spirit and how God moves and works and his son Jesus and, and his purpose, his purpose for us, right? His purposes for us. Knowing, knowing that the best thing in all of this that I can do is just fall at the feet of Jesus. Like the best thing that any of us can do at the very beginning is just bow at the feet of Jesus and humble ourselves before his mighty hand. He is God. He is Lord. He is Savior, Master. He is King. He is everything. It is all the work of his hands, you and I, and everything we know is the work of his hands. And the best thing I could do is just throw myself at his feet and just stay there. The hope is in this message that's gonna end up taking three weeks, this three week mini series within the series, is that we will see, first of all, a fuller view of God's love, like a bigger picture of God's Great love. Like we'll climb to the top of the mountain and we will see a bigger view of what God's love encompasses. The, the good side, the mushy side, the, 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 the feel-good side of God's love and, and the other side of God's love that we don't like to talk about, think about, and we definitely don't want to uh, experience. But it's as real as the other side is. And so we want to get a fuller view of God's love and, and we want to have a better sense then in our lives of when we should love with grace because we live in this crazy world, when to love in grace and love and acceptance and mercy and when 
His love should cause us to stand firm in the truth. We need to know when to do both. We need to see both in action. We need to understand both sides of God's love so that we can walk in his love and stand firm in his truth. That there is a side of God that we do not want to mess with, right? There's a side of God that, that you and I do not want to test. Wouldn't be a good idea. So the question kind of comes up, do we really have a healthy fear of God? Like really, do we? Do we have a healthy fear of God and his power and his authority and his love? <clears throat> we were in uh, British Columbia not long ago. And uh, something that I noticed while we were just in a neighborhood, we were driving through a neighborhood, and uh, houses, cars, just like a normal street, not a busy street, two lanes, small, people playing outside, walking down the sidewalk, just a little neighborhood. And what I saw there were deer in people's front yards eating their, their flowers and their bushes. These deer. Like most deer have a healthy respect of a gun, and when they see a human being, they run. But these deer, they, they had no fear of people at all. They were just in the yard eating their bushes. And I, I guess they were, there must be some kind of rules that you're not supposed to sh shoot them or scare them off or throw anything at you, just let them be. They had no fear. And what I'm afraid of and I think we can all see this, is that we as, a, as human beings, and maybe even us personally, we have gotten real comfortable with the goodness of God as a society and perhaps personally. We don't have a healthy respect or a healthy fear of God. And we push the limits of God's grace far more than we ever should. Like we read last week in Romans chapter 1. Uh, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of peoples who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That the wrath of God, this other side of God's great love, the wrath of God is being revealed against this godlessness and this wickedness. And, and here's what that passage goes on to say. Paul goes on to say in verses 21 and 22 of Romans chapter 1, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You see, they knew God. They just didn't care enough to respect God. God's word. They didn't care enough to honor or obey him, and they lost their fear of the Lord. They were those deer just eating right out of people's bushes in the front yard with all the commotion and cars going on without any sense of fear whatsoever. Under the umbrella of God's love, we find both grace and mercy, and we find 
wrath, and discipline. All under his great love that he lavishes on us. This great love of God is so much bigger than we realize. And if we don't get anything else out of this message, I, I hope we will gain at least this, a healthy outlook of his love and a more mature view of his power. And that we will fall at his feet in awe of the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God, but we will also fall at his feet in awe of his discipline and his power and his authority. And our lives then will reflect a healthy balance of the fullness of God's love. And we will walk on this earth in a holy fear that brings about humility in our hearts and also a confidence in his love that produces security and acceptance. And we will be a well-rounded follower of Jesus who understands the full picture of God's true love. Now, this is about where we left off last week, and so we're going to ease into where we're going. So, the more I think about God's love and the more we talk about God's love and all that John is saying and all that kind of love uh, uh, encompasses, the more I feel like we're in a cave. Like we're in this cave, not, not in the darkness there, but, but we're in this cave or a maze and there's all these channels, there's all these tunnels and they all go in different ways and you could just explore all kinds of, uh, of these tunnels in this cave. And each tunnel showing like a different aspect of God's great love. It's so vast and it's so deep and it's so wide and it's so high and it's so long. And as you travel down these, these tunnels, God reveals this in one incredible truth after another. Because it's so much bigger than we will ever know. In, in Hebrews, we read this passage and this is where we're going to kind of jump off and go forward. We read this passage in Hebrews 12. Paul says, or the, the, the Hebrew writer, we're not sure it was Paul, but the Hebrew writer says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the, Lord's discipline, the Lord disciplines those that he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his so the Lord disciplines those that he loved. The word means he, he, he chastises them. He rebukes them. That's what he says. To be chastised is to be corrected, right? To be uh, 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 purged, or, or especially from God, to be sifted, or means to be pruned from, by God. To be pruned, like it's like we may get chastised by a police officer or an authority or a teacher or our parents, and we don't like it. Nobody likes to be like corrected. We don't like to be chastised. But the Lord chastises, he disciplines those that he loves. So God, God brings into our life this uncomfortable sense of correction. And, and just like we don't like it from people, we don't, we don't like it anywhere. It's, 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 there's discomfort. <laughs> to say the least, there is discomfort 
in being chastised, it's not supposed to feel good when you get corrected or chastised. It's, to, it's supposed to alert you. It's supposed to shake you a little, wake you up, and get you moving in a different direction. That's what it's supposed to do. It is the spiritual scalpel of God cutting away our wickedness, cutting away our bad thinking, and cutting away our wrong motives. That's what's going on when the Lord disciplines his children, like the pruning of branches for a better and healthier growth. The end result is good, but the process of chastising and disciplining is not fun. It's not condemnation that God brings on us, it's correction. And, and we know we need this. We know in our own life we need this. The Lord's chastisement is for our good. As a father disciplines his child, or should, the Lord disciplines those that he loves. This great, this powerful, this fearful love of God is a love that will result in heaven for some, Right In God's love, some will end up in heaven, those who turn to him, those who repent of their sin, those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. And it will result in eternal punishment for those who do not obey his truth and submit to the Lord God. His love will result in both directions. See, this is the core message of John. This is what John is saying in his entire letter, that anyone who acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And anyone who does not acknowledge Jesus in the flesh is not of God. Because in his pure and perfect love, God is true to his word. He will do what he says he will do. And what God said through the prophet Ezekiel still stands, still stands in Ezekiel 18:4, the soul that sins will die. And so God, being true to his word, must punish the soul who sins. And this is why, this is why we need so badly to be rescued because we've all sinned we've all fallen short of the glory of god and we all need to be rescued we all need a savior and and why we need this great love of god right this is why we need it why we need his love that is joyful and why we need his love that is painful in fact we grow more in in, in discomfort and, and adversity than we ever will when things are going well. Growth happens when God disciplines us and he corrects us and he allows things to happen in our life that causes us to look and rely and trust in him. And there's this tension. So we feel this tension in the midst of all this. There's this great tension 
And, and I feel it. Hopefully uh, you understand it. And it's this tension between uh, the love of God uh, blessing us and the love of God disciplining us. There's this tension on the earth. God dealing with us, first of all, as a human race, like looking at us and our sinfulness and our wickedness, like we just read in Romans 1, and God dealing with the human race, but also God dealing with me and my imperfections, God dealing with all of us, and then secondly, us trying to live this out in the world. This is the tension. How do we live out this awe all-encompassing love of God, right? This tension between showing grace and acceptance and love to the world while also standing up for the truth of God against the evils of this world. See, this is why it matters. God's love that hits us from every direction and us now walking in the world trying to live that out in a way that honors God and pleases God. See, the word of God reveals all of it. Yeah, yeah, he pursues us, right? God pursues us. We, we're really good about the side of God pursuing us, right? He left the 99 to go after the one. We, we love that. We love the sense of that. We love the feel of that. We love the look of that, that God would rescue me, come running after me. That's awesome. He left heaven. He came to earth. Show us the way, right? To die on a cross, to provide forgiveness for my sins, to save me. But he also wants me to pursue him, right? And if we don't pursue him, we find ourselves on the outside looking in, right? He's not going to force himself on us. His love, his, his love is going to let us Walk away if that's what we choose to do, to turn away from him. It's biblical. He watched, right? He watched the rich young ruler turn and walk away because he had great wealth and he was unwilling to come to Jesus on his terms. His father, he is also the father of the prodigal son who didn't go chasing after his rebellious child who wanted to leave. Watched him, sadly, walk away. Just like Jesus did in John 6 when many disciples turned and walked away and no longer followed Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus instructed his disciples to go and preach. Remember this early in his ministry, to go and preach. And notice he says, do not go to the, um, the, the, the lost sheep of Israel, but instead, or he says, do not go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans, but instead go to uh, the Jews, the, uh, the lost sheep of Israel, right? The, the uh, children of Abraham, the Jews of the day, the ones who should know the word of God. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Instead, you go and preach the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God to the lost sheep of Israel. And he said, as you go from town to town, as you enter a home, give it your greeting. If the home will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave it. And as you leave that home or town, here's what you're to do. You're to do the shake. You're to shake the dust off your feet as a sign 
against them. And then Jesus said, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it, on the day of judgment than it will be for that town. And in John chapter 7, verse 5, not even Jesus' brothers believed in him, right? His brothers James and Joseph and uh, Judas and his brother Simon, and Jesus also had two sisters, Mary and Salome. But it says not even his brothers believed in him. Do you know what Jesus said about that? Matthew 12, 50. Who is my mother and my brother and my sister and my father? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brother and my sister. So not even his brothers. He didn't even go chasing after his own brothers, flesh and blood. But he let them go. He just let them wander. Because it was their choice to wander. See, his message of love and truth is full of love and full of truth. But it's also a message that is firm and non-negotiable. We don't get to come to God on our terms and make up the rules or, or, or negotiate uh, an agreement between us and God. It is on his terms and his terms only. His love is warm and welcoming and his love is firm and on his terms always. Because his terms are always what's best and his terms are perfect. Not just for mankind. Like, as if that's all God has got going on is just us. But his terms are perfect and best for all of creation and eternity. It's much bigger than us. In his love, we are commanded to love and to accept. And in his love, we are commanded to stand firm and not bow down. And what I want to tell you today, and what I think John is trying to say to us in this text, is it's okay not to go along with the ways of the world. It is okay for you to stand as a believer against the evils of men. John's message to the church is hold your ground. Speak up for the truth and resist the rebellion. And here's the thing. Most people, and we're going to wrap it up right here, most people don't have to be convinced of God's good love. We get that. We love that. We sing about that. We embrace that with everything in us. But what we do have to be convinced of is the other side of God's love, and that is his tough love. We don't like that as much. Job, 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 Job. We ended last week with a thought about Job. I want to do that as well today. Another amazing thought of Job. Because Job is a guy who suffered so greatly, lost so much, and yet Job had the right attitude about God in the midst of his suffering. In the midst of God putting him to the test. In the midst of loss greater loss than you or I will ever experience. We can't even begin to imagine what Job uh, went through. 
Like we, we get a minor setback and we freak out and get all bent out of shape. Job lost it all and he maintained his like integrity and his character and his, his heart and mind on God. Last week, Job said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Isn't that awesome? Should we accept, should we just accept the good and not the trouble? No. God loves us, and even in the, in the good and in the trouble, God is working on our behalf. And, and, I, and, and like I said, and like we know, the trouble is going to grow us greater than the good. The good is just easy. The trouble is going to push us to greatness. That's what Job said last week. This time... This week, I want to read a, a verse out of chapter 13, verse 15. Job said this, another crazy statement of Job's in the midst of suffering. He says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. See, this is, this is, this is Job summing up what John is saying to us about the love, this great big love of God. That yeah, God loves us. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. He loves you more than you will ever know or more than you could ever love. He loves you. He's made a way for you to come back into his presence. He loves you. But Job says, I, I understand that part. And so I'm going to also be big and mature on the other side of God's love. And that is if he chooses to slay me. If he chooses to put me to the test, if he chooses to remove everything that I own, I'm still going to put my trust and my hope in him. That is insane. This word slay means uh, to kill in some translations. The word actually is kill. It's from the King James. In the King James, uh, the word slay is used a lot. The King James loves the word slay. It means the killing of someone or something every time it's used. It's quotal. It's quotal in the Hebrew, and it means to kill or to slay or to cut off or to put to death. And that's intense. And that's mature. This is mature faith, one that sees the full picture of all that God is. And even if God kills me, Job is saying, I will still trust him. I will still put my hope in him, even if he kills me. See, that's clear awareness of God's full love. That's not some immature person just clinging to the gushy, mushy goodness of God. That's a, a mature look at the, the full picture of all that God is to us. And Job shows us exactly what it means to be all in. With his attitude about the good and the bad and the, the beautiful and the ugly, that, that he's willing to accept whatever God has for him. And he's going to look at everything that happens as an opportunity for him to grow in his faith and to trust God more, and to, to watch God do things that he never saw coming, is so very mature and an indication that he is all in. God bless you guys. We're going to just start right there and go forward. No more reviewing what I went through. We're just going to plow, plunge forward next week. God bless you guys. We're going to get through verses 7 through 21. You have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.